This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Lenovo has just announced plans to acquire IBM and Motorola businesses for a total of more than $5 billion. Of the IBM deal, Wharton management professor Michael Useem, co-author of Boards That Lead, When to Take Charge, When to Partner, and When to Stay Out of the Way, says Lenovo's board of directors have helped the Lenovo go from a company we have never heard of 15 years ago to the number one personal computer maker in the world. In this interview... Yusim, who is also director of Wharton's Center for Leadership and Change Management, explains why monitoring is no longer the only responsibility of the board, where board directors should draw the line in their leadership of organizations, and where some companies and boards are getting it right, including Lenovo. Hi, my name is Bob Borghese, and I'm here today with Mike Yusim. Mike is a professor of management and the director of the Center for Leadership and Change Management here at the Wharton School. We're here with Mike to talk about his new book, uh, Boards That Lead, which he recently co-authored with Ram Charan and Dennis Carey. Mike, thanks for being with us today. Bob, good to be here. So, Mike, what led you to uh, write a book on board leadership? Well, Bob, uh, corporate governance has been a topic of great interest uh, for many people, including myself, for a number of years. And joining with uh, my colleague Ram Charan, who is a very high-end consultant, and Dennis Carey, who's the vice chair of Corn Ferry, which is a very large executive search firm. He's worked on many board searches. We got into a dialogue on what exactly is happening in boards these days, boardrooms. And as we thought about our own experience, lots of research evidence coming out, uh, concluded that uh, a good way to rethink what boards do is to uh, take the premise that they have to monitor, and they do that pretty well, much better after Sarbanes-Oxley and Dodd-Franks, these two legislative acts to strengthen the hands of boards of directors, gotten pretty good at monitoring. But increasingly, directors are also exercising a kind of leadership function in the boardroom and with top management. And as we drew upon our experience, and um, all three of us have been in boardrooms, that sort of thing, we uh, did inductively conclude that uh, good for all of us to rethink what boards do from not just monitoring, which is what they're required to do, but to also see boards as helping the company to be going where it's got to get to, call that leadership. So, Mike, give us a little bit of a historical perspective on the role that boards have played over time and how that role specifically has evolved over time beyond just the monitoring function to more of a leadership function. If we go way back, boards were aptly described, I think, by, uh, again, a professional colleague, Jay Lorsch, on the faculty of the Harvard Business School, with the title of a very well-known book, which was Boards of Directors, Pawns or Potentates? And he had a bit of a question mark there. But his conclusion was, historically, 30, 40 years ago, boards tended to be pawns. They had become passive. They were really under the thumb of the chief executive. They met, <clears throat> uh, had a great lunch together, and all went home. But with the rise of big institutional investors, uh, the California Pension Fund, Fidelity, BlackRock, uh, these days hedge funds as well, uh, the pressure coming from investors for directors to not be pawns, to get in there and 
uh, keep management's feet to the fire to avoid malfeasance, think Enron, uh, and on the affirmative side, to get great growth at a reasonable degree of risk, that boards move from that pawn role to a much more active monitoring role. And we can see that in all kinds of statistics. We've got a bunch of them in the book on the background of directors, how boards are organized. Virtually all major Standard & Poor's 500 boards, for example, now have an independent audit committee, an independent governance committee, an independent compensation committee. Independent meaning they're not under the thumb of the chief executive. They actually have that relationship turned around. And with that rise, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, a more, call it more vigilant monitoring function pushed by the big stockholders out there, uh, <clears throat> reinforced by legislation coming out of the early uh, part of the last decade after the Enron failure, uh, boards in a kind of an unanticipated way, in a kind of an almost unplanned way, began to exercise more leadership. And what we mean by that is that directors now, often coming from top management positions themselves, many former CEOs, for example, occupy boardrooms now, when they come into a board meeting, they are helping the top executive think through a, a spinoff, an acquisition. They're helping a top executive think about, how do I develop top talent here so I got a great replacement uh, once my uh, day is up? And with all that being said and kind of all put together in a package, we ended up entitling this book, Boards That Lead. Now implicit in that is boards also monitor on behalf of stockholders. That's the deal set forward by the SEC and the New York Stock Exchange. We all want that to happen. But in addition, because of this quiet, historical, and quite profound transformation, we think, boards now increasingly are at the plate, helping the company to go where it ought to get to. Substantively, that pretty much sums up with the statement, boards that lead. So Mike, um, one of the issues you identify in the book is the tension between exercising leadership and crossing the line into executive prerogative. What advice would you give board members to make sure that they strike the right balance? Good way to keep this uh, point in mind is on key issues, the board, the directors have to be at the table and they have to be driving the issues. So the tenor at the top the commitment to ethics and integrity, the central idea that drives the firm, compensation for the top people. In all these areas, directors are number one, and that's their job, that's their calling. Having said that, what is not their calling, in fact, not their place to go to at all, we put it, you know, when to stay out of the way is our phrase for that, are the operations that uh, a top executive team are con uh, is concerned with every day. Uh, getting products into the stores, running a supply chain, uh, research and development. These are really the prerogatives of top management and not for the board to be concerned with. A good way to keep that point in mind is to remember the challenge of spelling the word banana. You've got to know when to stop when you start spelling that word. And in a boardroom, You've got to be very self-conscious about knowing where to stop. Many companies that we describe and observe uh, for this book have developed devices, uh, sometimes written documents. Here are the issues that have to go to the board, 
and here are the issues that have to stay out of the boardroom. Typically, it's more informal than that, but there are a number of, call them uh, governance and management and leadership devices that help boards get their leadership function done without micromanaging the firm. Okay. So if what we're looking for are boards that lead, how can shareholders do a better job of identifying the right type of board leaders, motivating them, compensating them, things like that? Bob, it's a really timely question because we're going into proxy season, as sometimes is called. This is over the next four or five months is when most companies have their annual meeting. And what, of course, that means is this is when investors, stockholders, elect their board of directors. <clears throat> and it's a very timely issue to think about because as you are looking, if you're an investor, at the slate put forward now to, uh, let's say, serve as directors of American Airlines or Citibank or Procter & Gamble, you do want directors who are terrific at appreciating what it takes to deliver total shareholder return, stock appreciation and dividends. Now, there are 100 issues within that that you have to be very mindful of to ensure that top management delivers value to the stockholders. That's job number one as a director. But job number two is to fulfill this leadership obligation. And for that, uh, we recommend in the book, for example, that uh, investors, investment managers, those who are most responsible for placing money in big companies, whether at a, uh, a college endowment or a big money management firm like Vanguard or Fidelity, that they take a close look at the directors. Are these people good at leading enterprise? Do they have a background in top management of another large enterprise? Do they have a record of being able to work with others? After all, a board really is a team of 10 to 12 people. And thus making a judgment call as we come into proxy season now, new slate of directors up for election or typically re-election, really good to take a hard look <clears throat> at who is on that slate. Can they monitor? Can they lead? And then the flip side of that, in our view, that is the great obligation of the what's usually called the Nominations and Governance Committee within the boardroom to pick people who keep the feet to the fire of top management and know how to do that, but also bring content to the table to help top management get its job done. Okay. And if the board is leading, who's monitoring the board? We all have a boss. That's a good way to put it. So top management is monitored by the board. The board, and we need to strengthen this, is ultimately monitored by shareholders. After all, the board is elected by stockholders. That's the arrangement. Uh, it's a fairly weak electoral system in that, as we know, most slates, with some exceptions, rare exceptions, have uh, 12 people up for typically re-election for 12 seats. And so if you're nominated, you're almost always going to be elected by the stockholders. There are exceptions to that. Uh, having said that, big investors that do get more of a voice when they approach a company, they do get their phone calls answered, uh, have an obligation, I guess that's the way we put it, <clears throat> to 
communicate directly with directors to ask those two tough questions. Are you monitoring and are you leading? And so in that sense, directors ultimately are responsible to the stockholders and should be. That, that's, that's our free enterprise arrangement. Mike, Warren Buffett often points out that in the tight community of corporate directors, comedy, the notion that there should be courtesy in the boardroom toward other directors, toward the executives, um, often prevails. The notion that you don't want to rock the boat. That's a powerful force in a boardroom. Um, and sometimes it's one that has to be resisted. What advice would you give board members to, you know, while at the same time exhibiting comedy, also uh, asking tough questions? Bob, I think to pick up on your phrase there, we want both. We want civil behavior in the boardroom, of course. And typically, if you look at the 10, 11, or 12 directors in the boardroom, uh, they've had 20, 30 years of experience in working with many people, and they are very effective in working directly and collaboratively. Having said that, if uh, the people in the room already agree, let's say with the chief executive, or kind of cowed into agreeing with the CEO or with other directors, they might as well not be in the room. They are there to bring their own judgment, their own experience. And in that sense, even though there can be a pressure to comedy, to not say what you really think, uh, in our observations of how boards operate, increasingly over the last 10 or 15 years, a new norm has developed. Uh, if comedy prevailed many years ago, back in those pawn days, uh, today uh, directors look askance on other directors who don't say much, who don't bring a weighty point of view into the room. And uh, thus, quick summary on that one, Bob, is we want, again, the 10 to 12 people on average that are in that boardroom to bring that monitoring uh, judgment call to, uh, into the room, but also bring their best judgment as a leader of enterprise as to what should be done, even if others don't agree with that. I guess in conclusion, Mike, can you give us some examples of boards that have done a good job of executing on their leadership role and maybe some boards that haven't? Well, here's a board to pick one out some time ago that really made the difference actually in all of our lives. If we go back to 1996 and 1997, uh, Apple was on its last legs. <clears throat> Steve had gone some years earlier, had been kicked out quite a few years earlier, and a, uh, uh, a former chief executive of DuPont, now serving on the Apple board, uh, began to ask very tough questions of the chief executive. So think about that. Non-executive director asking very tough questions of the chief executive. The chief executive then, 96-97, was, I guess I'll put this in a charitable way, sanguine about the future of Apple, thought it was doing well. But when the non-executive director asked the CFO privately, what do you really think? The CFO said, we're heading off a cliff. They got into the numbers and it was true. And so the chief executive, sorry, the non-executive director on the board, the former CEO of DuPont said, we've got a problem. He began to ask around if anybody might want to purchase Apple. They approached Dell Computer. Michael Dell famously said, forget it. Why don't you just close shop and return the money to your stockholders? 
So the non-executive director, uh, modestly paid at that time, called up Steve Jobs and says, Steve, why don't you come back and help us out? Steve said, no way. But this non-executive director persisted looking for leadership and was ready to help a new leader come in to turn this company from where it was um, careening off a cliff to a different direction. Finally persuaded Steve to rejoin the firm. When Steve Jobs came back into the company in 97 fully, it had a market value of about $2 billion. And when Steve passed away not so long ago, he, because of the intervention of the board to pick a great leader, and then to work with that leader over some years, that firm went from a $2 billion market value to at one point more than $700 billion. So here, for us anyway, is an example, quite now, quite some time ago, of a board that wasn't just there to keep an eye on management, to tell them deliver shareholder value, but here was a board and this particular member who took in a very active leadership role to bring that firm back to health. To pick another firm just uh, very briefly here, uh, was just announced that uh, Lenovo, the great Chinese PC maker, uh, is acquiring for over $2 billion uh, a major division of IBM. And this, in a sense, uh, is the second such purchase. Back in 05, Lenovo also bought uh, a division, the personal computer division of IBM, at that point for a little less than $2 billion. Uh, we know that company well. I've talked with uh, some of the directors. I spent time with the chief executive. And unequivocally, the board of Lenovo, not just top management, has helped that company go from a company we've never heard of 15 years ago to now the number one personal computer maker in the world. So it's topped Hewlett Packard, it's topped Dell, <clears throat> it's by far number one in China, and now it's number one in the world. Partly because of the great strategic insights of the people that built the company as executives, but also very importantly because of the leadership that the directors brought into the company. Mike. Um, in the last minute or so, one or two points that you'd like to leave us with? Bob, I would say, number one, if you are a director, <clears throat> good to think of what you're doing both as a defender of shareholder value and as a leader of the company. If you're an investor, good to look at directors. Do they bring a lot to the table both to monitor for shareholder value and to lead strategically. If you're a top executive, who do you want on your board? You want people that can do both. And as executives move into the top ranks coming up through their own ranks, increasingly, I believe, a quality of their own leadership will be to work extremely well with their board to draw the best from the board in their own leadership. Mike, thanks very much. Thank you, Bob. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.